Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class, Talking Politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And Phil, another jam-packed week of, well, not really even political drama, but more a little bit of a political comedy or a little bit of political, I don't know what, you know, circus. It's just, I mean, let's just start first and foremost with the intersection of sports and politics. You know, traditionally, the winner of the Super Bowl, winner of the NBA championship, the winner of the hockey championship, the NCAA uh, football national champion and basketball champion go to the White House for a visit, and it was canceled this week. The Philadelphia Eagles, arguably the most important political team in the country because they are the team with probably the biggest fan base in a swing state out there being Pennsylvania, disinvited when most of them were not going to show up. And, uh, you know, I know we like to point out things about political malpractice. And does this fall into that category, Phil? Well, so first, let me take sports and politics. I just assumed you meant that Steve Scalise returned to the baseball field yeah, yesterday. Very, actually, in, we should take a moment. In bipartisan political news. I we, mean, this was, it was actually a really, really big day in, uh, in Senate congressional baseball. Steve Scalise, who was shot last year, yes. uh, almost a year ago now, uh, returned to the baseball field yesterday. And so, uh, Wish him well. I recovery is going well, and it was actually it was it was big news. Everybody couldn't tweet at him or a picture with him on the baseball field quick enough. It was uh, political gold for for those following social media. But uh, congratulations to Steve Scalise. And to your point, you know it's funny. You know this idea that well, was it the right move? Was it the wrong move? You know Pennsylvania is a big state, and, and Eagles fans. I mean sports fans. However, I'm going to say you know however 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 however. And I cannot even believe these words are about to come out of my mouth. But this is just Donald Trump being Donald Trump, right? This is nothing that is surprising anymore. And here's the thing. When Donald Trump took on the NFL about kneeling last year, right? And Donald Trump made an issue of players and owners and, and, and officials not enforcing players to stand up. We all thought, oh, this is it. You don't ever mess with the NFL. The NFL is the only entity that's more powerful than they stole Sunday from God, right? That's what they say. The NFL is this powerful, almighty entity. And yet, last year, ratings were down. And so you see, and I think the president sees and President Trump sees, that, you know what, he could take on the NFL. He could take on the Eagles and still find a way to come out on top. And I wish I can explain it. I can't explain it because what you and I would have talked about and prognosticated about two years ago is on its head right now because it's just, it's unpredictable. He does what he wants, when he wants, and it does not seem to affect him. Now, let's put that in perspective. He's still polling at 38%. And so it's not like his numbers are somehow and all of a sudden through the roof. However, He's never taken these calculations, these political calculations into his decision making. And so I don't see this. I mean, look, 2020 is long ways away. Uh, I think that that Republicans are going to have as many issues in the midterms, regardless of whether the Eagles were at the White House or not. And so I don't I don't think the president makes this calculation. And ultimately, if he does, he's thinking like, I'm going to beat them. Well, isn't that the problem is that he's not making the calculations? Isn't that the issue? I mean, if you're a Republican and remember, politics, it, it's a team sport as well. Right. I mean, maybe I understand that the president is a unique political personality. He is totally he's a phenomenon that's beyond 
the laws of of political gravity. I that's really not a term, but I'm going to use it anyway. But it hasn't been able to transfer to other people, right? You haven't seen anybody else really in subsequent elections being able to defy those those laws, being able to do anything and get away with it. Trump is able to do that. I mean, to his credit, to his political, well, his, his acumen, no, I'm just... What does that actually mean, right? No, well, he's well, not up for election. That's what, right, that's what I'm saying. So his, a, poll, his poll numbers are not going up. So it's a team sport. And when you're not thinking of your team, meaning the other people, people running for office in Pennsylvania, Republicans, a Republican running for Senate, you're trying to take a seat from Bob Casey, right? You want to go ahead, you want to help Republican office holders getting into, I know this continual feud with the NFL with regard to the to the anthem, and truth is, I think people should stand for the national anthem. They're paid to be there. They're not paid to protest. It's They're professional athletes. If you're, if you're, you know, not there. They're performers. That's, that's what it comes down to. I mean, I'm just that's, the, what, a, that's what a protest is. Oh, I understand, but you, but you're I and, but and I students are meant to be well, in school in the uh, afternoon, and yet they walk out of school hey, to protest gun violence. Hey, hold, 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 that's what they call a protest. Hold on a second, and I think yeah, that's very fair. But if I if you go to your job in the morning and you say, you know what, I'm walking out. I, I, I'm coming in. I'm here five minutes, but I'm walking out. I'm going to stand outside all day, and I'm going to protest because there's something going on. Well, as, how, a, as how, an elected official, I do that all the time. How how long <laughs> until you get fired? Again, how seriously? It's your you job. Can't, you can't compare. You can't. I'm compare. not. Tra- I'm not comparing you to anybody. No, no, no. No, <laughs> no what no. I'm saying is, what I mean by that is, you can't compare. You know, someone who's an attorney and says, you know what, an attorney who walks outside in front of his office and takes a knee for 45 minutes before he goes inside is not going to get any attention. It's not much of a protest, right? Because because you're right, not it's actually, only protest because there's coverage because the correct. TV's if on. If a tree you. falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it actually make I a sound? I understand. I'm not saying. I'm not suggesting that they don't have the right to protest. What I'm saying is they don't have the right to protest on somebody else's time on somebody else's contract. If you have an ability, I have no problem with the NFL owners saying that the players should be. This is part of the job. That's a. That's a. That's a. Something that's an agreement between the players and the owners. That's a professional. Let's remember these are professional athletes. They are there to perform. But that's not the issue entirely because I think the president made it a much larger issue of, well, we don't we can't you know, we can't disrespect the flag. And, you know, even the Supreme Court has held that you can burn the flag. Now, it's terrible. I think that's awful because I think the flag is a symbol of everything that of of the greatness of this country. And people, we don't die for the flag, of course. I think that that's a mistake. People haven't died for the flag. People have died for the idea of the flag, the flag represents. and what it represents. But it represents a lot to so many people. And you shouldn't desecrate the same way you don't des- go around desecrating people's religious symbols and denigrating them. You don't shouldn't denigrate our national symbols. But you have the right to, should you should you want... Uh, you have the right to protest. I don't know about that. I, you know, I kind of draw the line at desecration because that involves destru- destruction, uh, depending on whether it's your property or not. But the, this is definitely an issue the president has latched onto, and in fact, he's admitted it to Jerry Jones. Right? Jerry Jones put it out there that the president sees this as a winning issue, and he's going to continue to pursue it. And therefore, he wanted the NFL owners. I'm talking about more specifically the situation here with the Eagles. Okay, so the Eagles said as a team, and most many of them were not coming, having nothing to do with the flag, has nothing to do with the knee. They weren't protesting, etc. They weren't coming because, let's be honest, the president has a problem, and it's you know it's an ongoing problem with minorities. 
He just does. I mean, that's how he has been ever since Charlottesville and probably even before Charlottesville. He has a problem with minorities. It's the day he announced his his run And he hasn't tried to make it better. And so professional athletes, who many of them are minority, are not looking to be seen with him. It's that simple. But some of them were willing to come. And instead of embracing those who were willing to come and the Eagles fans that were willing to come, they did this nonsense... Well, before we get to that, because okay, let's well, say you know, I, I mean, there's so much else to talk about. This no, 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 I don't, no, want, I I don't want to dwell. I entirely. think we need to talk about about the sort of the love and and the ceremony to celebrate our our patriotism in, in at the White House. And yes, we, I want to talk about that in a moment. But what I'm saying is, look, I think you and I agree on the idea that they have a right to protest. Should they or shouldn't they? I think that's the debate. But but here's the issue: President Trump has only ever cared about one person, and that is President Trump. And so, what going back to what you were saying is that well, like you know. Being in elected office, you know, given that there's a two-party system, this is a team sport. And yet, President Trump has never viewed it as a team sport. It's always about President Trump, right? This is this is Donald Trump being Donald Trump for Donald Trump because of Donald Trump, right? Let's, let's be clear about what he's doing and why he's doing it for. And so to think that he cares about, about a Senate seat or congressional seat, he clearly, clearly does not. And I think you and I have seen this many years, right, as, as students of politics, Support doesn't always carry over. I know that I've made endorsements and they don't always work. And I know that I've made endorsements and somehow they, they do so, sometimes have an influence. And so so this idea that it, the, the support or lack of support for the president is actually going to matter is, is, I mean, I don't know if we actually know that. I mean, take a look. And interestingly enough, and we talked about this for a moment last week, the president endorsed uh, Congressman Dan Donovan in Staten Island against Michael Grimm. Thinking that especially in an area like Staten Island, a conservative area like Staten Island, a heavy Republican area, that was going to make a huge difference. And yet the poll that came out this week, right, I think it was New York One and the Daily News, have Michael Grimm up 10 points. Right, but a lot of that polling was actually done before Understood. the endorsement. You know, There's no question, Dan Donovan, when we can get into that, yeah. we, we should get into that actually because the primary is almost here and we should have a little, we could do a little primary preview um, if we don't end up talking about the Eagles the entire time. But nothing wrong with that. The question is, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Keep going. No, so the bottom line is we don't know what endorsements mean. This is clearly not a team sport for President Trump. He has never indicated as such. And here's the thing, what I find most fascinating, because we, you, while you did see a decline in NFL ratings, I think that's widely, widely reported a, a tremendous decline in NFL ratings, the president's approval ratings haven't really gone up. And so you're really seeing that same base, you know, 35 to 40 percent of the people who are having this, impl- you know, sort of this, this, uh, this effect. And so th- the question is, is this actually even really serving Donald Trump? Now he thinks it's a winning issue. Right? We've heard that being said. This he believes this to be a winning issue, and so he's going to keep doing it. But I, I think to to think that Donald Trump cares about anybody else but himself is is the big mistake here. And we can sort of go right into sort of the ceremony that took place of uh, the Eagle ceremony which was the celebration of America. Right. I mean, the only reason we continue, I guess, to spend so much time on this is, from my view as a political professional, this is just malpractice. Somebody should have told him, and maybe there isn't anybody who can tell him, bad idea. This is a bad idea. Don't cancel the Super Bowl champions. They are from Philadelphia. That is Pennsylvania. It's important. So I believe you want to cancel on the Giants. <laughs> Fine, <laughs> Michael. I, here's what I would say. I believe that someone did tell him. 
I absolutely believe that at the upper echelons of the White House, people actually had this conversation. And whether they told him or they didn't tell him, whether it actually something that went to him, I think they made a determination that he would not care. Right, or if but, it got to him, he said, I don't care, but the, and went on with it anyway. But there are 23. The Republicans are 23 seats away from losing the majority. That is not... I know it sounds like a big number, but it is not a big number. And five of those seats could be in Pennsylvania. Five of them. So I just don't really get the idea here of, of doing this. Let's get into the several quickly. Like I really, we got to move on. What did you have to say? Go ahead. You know, here's, here's what I will have to say. And for anybody who was following the news this week, I, you know, the little pause during God bless America. Was that what it was? The mumbling during God bless America, the, the sort of making the entire ceremony by putting yourself smack in the middle of it. Like somehow this was a less of a ceremony about the flag or about the anthem, but more about president Donald Trump sort of grandstanding in front of what seemed to be mostly white house staff. I don't really want to talk about it because it became literally like two or three cycles this week. I mean, people talked about whether he knew the words, he didn't know the words. I mean, it was pretty clear that he didn't know the words, but I don't care. I absolutely do not care if President Trump knows the words to God bless America. I don't want to spend a minute talking about it because I absolutely do not care. I care about so many more important things. And the fact, you ready for this, Michael? You know, like take note of the time. The fact that media sources dedicated hours and hours and hours to whether President Trump knew the words to God bless America to me is just a disgrace. I mean, look, look, and, and you could say that like, you know, you're just following the president down into the mud, but like, really, like, really, can we not be above that at this point? Like, just, just let it be. So in let's skirt, we're going to go to totally different news right now. And that is just the incredible, uh, acrobatics on the part of Sarah Huckabee Sanders with regard to this this week, the White House, uh, well, there was a, actually, it wasn't that it happened this week, a leaked memo came out from the White House lawyers, uh, to uh, President Trump's lawyers, to Bob Mueller, basically saying that the president did dictate that famous statement with regard to Donald Trump Jr.'s uh, involvement in this Russia meeting. Yeah, this, the whole, as, as usual, the cover-up is worse than the crime. Uh, I'd think. I mean, you could just explain away the fact that this meeting happened as, you know, nonsense and it was stupid. We never should have met with them. Okay. But then they just continued to lie and obfuscate. And now the fact is that the White House press secretary months ago went on national TV. The president's lawyer, Jay Sekulow, went on national TV. Others went on national TV and said the president had nothing to do with the statement. But then the president's own lawyers in a filing said that the president did, in fact, dictate the statements. Uh, but in true unfortunate fashion, the White House has decided or declined, and they are unwilling to talk about it. They are now saying, well, we can't talk about this because it involves... You can't talk about the fact whether you misrepresented something to the American people. And it that, to me, is just... it. It's quite incredible. It's kind of breathtaking when you think about it. The the inability to accept any responsibility for saying something that's untrue. that That's really what's going on here, which I find to be incredible. I mean, can you imagine, Phil, if somebody in your office, when you're just blatantly misrepresented or said the wrong fact, maybe they made a mistake, right? But can't you admit it? 
if that's the case. And it's probably not just a mistake. They were probably fed the wrong information, but they don't want to say that either, even though it's in black and white. So look, on the note of, on the note generally of the apology, I mean, that comes all the way from the top, right? This president has never, ever admitted to any wrongdoing or apologized for any one of the 100,000 gaffes, mistakes, insults, offenses he has made since he announced his run for office, starting with the first day, right, when he disparaged, you know, Hispanic Americans, right? So from the first day of... I think it was just Mexicans, not not everybody. Sorry, I apologize. It's okay. See, you see what I just did right there? I apologize. I made a mistake. I don't know if it was such a mistake because I think he offended really everybody there. But, But that being said, I'm still willing to express that I made a mistake and I'm willing to apologize. And so if the president never did it, then why would Sarah Huckabee Sanders do it? Who, by the way, I despise, I think, more than most at the White House because... Don't you feel bad for her? I, You know, someone else said that to me. You know, don't you feel bad that she has to go up there? She chooses to go up there every single day. She, like many before her, by the way, who have disagreed with the president, who have disagreed with the president's ways, have walked away from the White House, who have walked away. She chooses to go up there. And so, no, I don't feel bad for her. This is her choice. And I think she knows when she is being dishonest. But but here is what, what you said, I think, that is most fascinating. I think that it's important for our, our, our listeners to truly understand. The story here is not about whether the president dictated the memo, the press statement, or he didn't dictate the press statement, right? Because we've heard both. We've heard, you know, that, that, that he did, and we've heard that he didn't. But who cares? If Sarah Huckabee Sanders gets up on the podium and says, you know what? Clearly, we were mistaken or there was a mistake made. You don't even have to own the mistake yourself, right? A mistake was was made in, in the determination of whether he, he did or he didn't. And so, yes, the president was on the air our first one and he did have a, a, a part in drafting that statement. That would have been it. I don't even think you and I would be talking about it. I don't think it would be a story. It'd be like, okay, great. Life goes on. What makes this a story? And you'll excuse me for a moment. What makes this a story is the fact that and you, if you watch some of these briefings, it's hilarious to watch the reporters ask the question over and over again, day in and day out, and only to get no response. Nothing. You no can't get any, response. It's, no, actually, you, they get indignation. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing, right? And so what becomes the story? The story is sort of, an, and again, there was, a whole, there was a whole bunch of hours where like the story was Josh Dossie of, of the Washington Post, literally with his hands on his face because... You just the non-answers out of this White House are just flabbergasting, right? It's just you can't even the, the White House press corps can't even. And then for Sarah Huckabee Sanders to say that, well, she has more credibility than the than the press corps to begin with. I mean, it's just she doesn't answer any questions. She doesn't we're, even. We're back her own in the. Mistakes. We're back in the. You're a liar. No, you're a liar. That, right, that's like, that's <laughs> what we, that that's what we've come to. But I think it's a good segue, Phil. Uh, oh. Another apologist or non-apologist, if depending on how you take it in the news this week, Bill Clinton. And, you know, back out there for some reason, it, it's it's kind of amazing to me. Bill Clinton was by far the most popular politician in America, by far for, for like a decade after his presidency. And his star has like declines quite unbelievably. But of course, and I have to give Trump credit for just totally discrediting the guy. I mean, bringing back everybody. Uh, yes, he was impeached, but just bringing Monica Lewinsky back in the news after decades and Bill Clinton and all his, you know, everything that people didn't like about him back in the news. Just now, he's almost caricature in many ways. I mean, nobody wants to be seen with the guy. He's kind of like a. Ooh. I, 
Bill Clinton. Clinton. I mean, it, it I'd just, be seen with him. Well, you're a you're a non-politician now, <laughs> so it's kind of. But you know, we think about it. I mean, it, Bill Clinton was like everybody wanted to be with the Clintons in in democratic politics and you don't see him anywhere on the campaign trail and now he's doing a little book tour and a lot of a lot of interviews and answering lots of questions said well you know i made a mistake you know i apologized you know 30 years ago about monica Lewinsky. um you know it's it's just it's quite amazing how i i just guess the transition that you have from the status of rock star status of bill clinton to now totally different uh in the trump era so let me qualify my. Give sta- us a democratic perspective. No, look. Let me let me qualify my statements by saying, look. You know, look. It was a different. It was it was a different time. Not for, in any way to justify what he did. But I think if what happened twenty years ago happened last week, given the social media and the access to news and the ability for everybody to go as public as they want, I think it would have gone very very differently, right? And he was look to the extent that a president. I mean, he was impeached, right? And so. Although it, it never went much farther than that, you know, the consequences were, were pretty great even back then. If that exact story happened today, I think he wouldn't have survived. I mean, I, I don't know how long it would have taken, but he, he clearly wouldn't have survived. By the way, that is a sort of take you sort of take all of the Trump antics and put it in a completely separate box. Oh yeah, because I, you I agree. Compare- in the era of social media, there's just no way. Right? And so there was no way that 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 this president would would have survived. And so, I mean, the question is: is we're trying to relitigate what happened 20 years ago? I know we know the story. The president was wrong, right? It was inappropriate. He shouldn't. Have, he was wrong in every in every possible way. Um, and you feel bad. I mean, look, it's funny because I, I just started following Monica Lewinsky on Twitter, I guess because of the week, the last I just started following. It's actually fascinating because I look, I grew up through this, right? I, I kind of watched this as, as and you still wanted to get into politics. And I still ended up in politics. Yeah, go figure. But like, it's kind of fascinating to see where she is now. She seems to be doing she seems to be doing well. She seems to be well adjusted. Yeah, she seems to be doing just fine. I mean. It's it's absolutely fascinating that this came up this week, and and you're right. Give President Trump credit. I mean, because he just found a way to just continue to pile on the Clintons. It's 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 quite unbelievable. Okay, we got to shift to New York State politics. Almost the end of the show. Sean Patrick Maloney getting into the AG's race. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna leave. It is primary week, of course, coming up in the congressional. We're gonna get to that next week uh, because that will have the. Uh, but primary week. Uh, but Sean Patrick Maloney, sitting congressman for the Hudson Valley, getting into what now looks potentially as a crowded Democratic primary for attorney general. Sean Patrick Maloney, the front runner, Letitia James. And then you have Leisha Eve, potentially, and Zephyr Teachout, who has gotten onto the ballot statewide before when she did it for governor four years ago, uh, which is a very arduous task in New York State. Well, that she had the support of the left. She had the support of the Working Families Party at the time. I mean, it was a different—it was a whole— uh, Not, not suggest anyway, but Sean Pat, why Sean Patrick Maloney getting in when others like Kathleen Rice determined that they couldn't get into the congressional race— uh, because I mean, couldn't get into the AG's race because they were already running for Congress, and just you know, size up the Democratic field for us. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to make a determination or understand what goes on, you know, sort of in the political calculations of certain people, sort of what goes on in their head. I mean, I look at this as no one thought Eric Schneiderman, our, our attorney, our embarrassed and disgraced attorney, former Attorney General, was ever going anywhere, or at least not for a while. And so, the seat of Attorney General seat was going to be was going to be occupied for at least the next four years, right? Until the next congressional, or uh, excuse me, gubernatorial race. And so maybe people see this as the only chance that it'll, maybe Sean Patrick Maloney looks at this race and says, look, you know, going up against Leisha Eve, a strong a powerhouse from Buffalo, uh, an African-American woman from Buffalo, going up against 
um, Zephyr Teachout, who's a darling of the left. Uh, Tish James, who's an African-American woman from New York City who comes in with probably the large, why she's a front runner, number one, is I happen to think she's just generally amazing, but but she's a hard worker and she's a tireless fighter. But aside from that, she's got probably the biggest foundation, the biggest political base. Sean Patrick Maloney sees himself as maybe the person who looks different. The And this is going to sound odd, right? Because it's the opposite of what you and I usually say, right? Usually it's like, oh, I'm the only woman in the race. Sean Patrick Maloney is the only man in the race. He also happens to be, he's hes gay. A gay man. He'd be the first gay attorney general. And so uh, maybe he looks at that as his differentiator, as what gives him an edge. And potentially this being the only time for a long time that he'll get the chance to be attorney general. I mean, as what I mean by that is, let's assume, right, and take the front runner. So let's say, assume Tish James wins. It is likely she will be attorney general for four, eight, maybe even 12 years. And so Sean Patrick Maloney looks at his political future and says, wait a second, I don't want to wait 12 years for my next potential run for public office or to make that move to attorney general, which is an office I've always coveted, now seems to be my best shot. I would disagree with it. If I were his consultant, I I would advise against, forget the legal challenges that deterred people like Kathleen Rice from getting in the race. You know, I don't want to get into sort of the legalities of whether he can or cannot run. However, he looks at this and says, hey, this is my best chance, and and I'm going to go for it. So it's interesting that having an Irish last name used to be the ticket to success in the Democratic Party in many in many races. Or and you know, we can go through the the long list of Irish successful Irish politicians in New York. The I think it's very interesting what you said, particularly if that if you're not from a identified group, well, whether you know, you're black or whether you're a woman or whether you're, you know, that some sub minority, you really have no ticket to kind of, to win in the New York Democratic Party. And it's not like that everywhere. And, you know, there are there's parallels on the Republican side as well. I don't want to be. But it's kind of interesting, the diminished stature of the Irish last name. That right. used to be coveted. Like, if you were Irish, you were, that was a great, the same way in certain districts if you were Jewish, Jewish last name. That was the same way to go. And that seems to have diminished. You know, they're really, and if you look at it, and this is actually the point I was getting to, is it's very little, there used to be always a Jewish person on the statewide democratic ticket and that doesn't exist anymore and you know the the jewish influence actually with regard to in democratic politics in new york i would say seems to be uh somewhat uh diminished is this you're urging me to run for office michael i think i i mean i'm not an attorney but i wonder if i could serve could you could you well in a five-way in a five-way ag primary there might be an opportunity yeah well uh, i do have a jewish last name so it's something i'll consider Okay, but all but but that aside, is there is there something to that? I, look, I think you know it's interesting. You start to identify, like, sort of, we start to talk about identity politics and what it means. I mean, right? You know, are the Jews being left out of identity politics? No, I you know I don't see it. I think it's a it's a matter of being sort of uh, look politics is about being in the right place at the right time, right? It's it's a lot of skill and a lot of luck, and so. I think that there's just there was no one position at this current time to sort of be in that position. However, well, that's interesting in in, in of itself, right? That's, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to to make the determination. Look, there are a lot. The of, interesting, of course, is that Schneiderman actually was raised Christian, but I think the papers he's at, document he's, he was Buddhist. 
No, he's Episcopalian. Episcopalian. Well, he might be Episcopalian Buddhist, whatever, but it could be a combination there. But, but everybody actually looked at him because of the name Schneiderman, they figured correct. he was Jewish. Uh, you know, and so I, I think it's just a matter of, you know, look, I don't, I don't think this is, there's any, indi- I don't think there's enough, there, there's no indications here. I don't think that, that sort of, I think identity politics are still very much alive and well. And I think the Jewish, you know, sort of from the Jewish community standpoint and perspective, I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think we've somehow lost our clout. Um, however, there's just no sort of no candidate sort of a, that's sort of in that position at this point. But I think that will change as races evolve, as 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 the years go on. I think, you know, look, Jews have a, hold a, a prominent place in New York politics, and I think that will continue to grow. So, I, I we, you know, I'd love to talk about the... I'd love to talk about. We're going to save the Donovan Grimm primary for next week because that I'm is, excited about that because that is absolutely shaping up to be one of the nastiest races ever. I think actually possibly in history uh, that we're going to go to. Uh, two points: number one, Scott Pruitt. Once again, I mean, this guy. The fact that he's actually still in the AP in the EPA as a chairman with all with every day another scandal essentially of misspending and this and that, and then he's basically been disinvited from eating at the they. Ve- reported that they don't want him to eat at the White House mess. Now, the White House mess now sounds like, of course, yeah, but but it is actually a very exclusive uh, place to eat in the White House basement where only White House staffers and cabinet members can go. And Scott Pruitt was essentially eating there every day, and they're reporting that they told him to stop. <laughs> I, have, I, mean, I have no comment. I mean, I, I, I'm waiting for Chick-fil-A to say he can't have sandwiches there either. It's, it, the stories now that he tried to get his wife a Chick-fil-A franchise, um, I mean, using his official position. And then again, he used mattress for, from the Trump Hotel. It's, I, I can't. I, I've got no comment. All, so all I could say about this is, like, is that I perhaps just the White House and the president just like the reality TV show nature of Scott Pruitt, like just every every day, there's another episode of the Scott Pruitt show. And here's the funniest part, and to me, what seems most fascinating, and I know we're gonna get criticisms for, I'm gonna get criticisms, and our show's gonna get criticism for this. Scott Pruitt still seems to have the support of the president. He's right? No question. We have about not it. heard any. However, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who to me, by the way, actually seems like he's doing is actually executing the president's vision he's when doing it comes a to good job. Right? He's he's keeping the office respectable. He's doing what he has to do, and yet the president tweets at him on a weekly basis, trying to push him out of that job. It's well, mind-boggling. Well, the one thing I'm taking away from the show, Phil, is that neither of us can figure out exactly what's going on and what the motivations are, because clearly we are not we do not have our finger on the pulse here okay we got to end this week and i'm actually going to give a shout out in a bad to the new york times because actually i thought they had a savaging editorial with regard to the first lady of new york city shalane mcrae who is the chairwoman of the mayor's fund for advancing new york city but it's not that she her fundraising is down because nobody compared nobody thinks that she should raise as much money as mike bloomberg but her response to the article about not raising money for the official position that she's in was it's not about who can raise the most money in her job as chief fundraiser for the mayor's fund. And so the the Times response was, except that's exactly what fundraising is all about. Kudos to New York Times for taking it for taking it on appropriately. And that's it here on Spin Class here on the Nachman Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.